friends. Welcome to the Delgado Podcast, a show featuring academics, authors, artists, and people who challenge the way we think and how to take action. This season is focused on the ways our spirituality, faith, and or religious identities impact our understandings of justice, race, gender, sexuality, mental health, and the Bible. We cover some challenging topics to help us think critically about our own assumptions and biases and to grow in more empathy, compassion, and love for each other. In this episode, we're honored to learn from Bridget Eileen Rivera about her journey growing up in a Reformed Baptist church, coming out, and ways the church can better love and care for LGBTQ Christians. In fact, this is the topic of her latest book entitled, Heavy Burdens, Seven Ways LGBTQ Christians Experience Harm in the Church, where she addresses the pain, trauma, and discrimination that many LGBTQ people have experienced in churches and steps that all of us need to take to create safe and inclusive spiritual homes. It's a fantastic, well-researched book that has helped me better understand the struggle and pain that many LGBTQ Christians have felt and ways the church can bring healing. If you love books that will help you think critically about the Bible, the role of the church, and LGBTQ issues, this is the book you're going to love. Bridget has a beautiful ability to take complex and sometimes controversial issues and making them understandable to Christians who maybe have never encountered these topics before. And best of all, the insights from this book will give you more empathy and love for our LGBTQ community. Bridget Eileen Rivera is a sociologist, completing her PhD at the City University of New York Graduate Center. Rivera has become a leading voice on gay celibacy in the church, helping Christians better grapple with gender and sexuality in a divided culture. She has worked with a number of faith-based organizations, including Revoice, Christians for Social Action, and Preston Sprinkles Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender. You can follow her on social media at Traveling Nun. Here's our conversation. Bridget, thank you so much for being on the podcast and... First of all, I want to say, like, you're soon to be Dr. Rivera. Um, uh, Not soon enough. I would like it to be sooner because (laughs) getting your PhD is, uh, it can feel pretty grueling sometimes, but uh, hopefully within the next couple of years. Yep. That is fantastic. So I want to know, like, with a busy school schedule, you're getting your PhD in sociology, doing a ton of research, writing a thesis. In the midst of all that, you're also you wrote an amazing book on ways the church can better love our LGBTQ community. And I want to know, like, how did you balance your time between like academic work and then also focusing on this really important theological work? Yeah, it was, uh, uh, it was pretty challenging. I, I definitely, um, let some things slide in terms of the PH, PhD side of things. Um, uh, in favor of writing my book, um, at various different moments. Um, but, uh, a, like a big thing that made a huge difference for me was I had a friend who agreed to be my deadline, uh, each month and I had to get him one chapter, at least one chapter by the end of each month. Uh, and that was my, like, that was my motivation, Um, and I don't, for some reason, and I don't know why it's really hard for me to write when I know that, um, nobody's going to be reading this anytime soon. 
Um, and so I was having just the hardest time getting my thoughts down because it just felt so ethereal, this like future audience that was going to be reading my book, but like, like a year, two years down the road. <laughs> so I had a, a friend who was just really great and he agreed to read everything as I wrote it month by month. And that made such a huge difference because I was like, okay, I have someone who is going to be reading this. All right, I can do this. And um, yeah, I, I that's how I did it. I focused on getting a chapter in each month. And then uh, after, after like 10, 10 or so months, the thing was written. So <laughs> to, a, to, a, to my great relief. Yeah. Amazing. And, I, and for those who haven't read the book, like each chapter is filled with so much rich, like theological analysis, history, um, the footnotes on each chapter. I'm like, you have done so much work for each of these chapters. This is not like writing like a simple story you are taking on very complex topics that have been debated by the church, debated throughout history, and you're like giving a specific lens to it, writing uh, in a very, very smart and intelligent way, and and then referencing so many um, great pieces of literature and and theological writings in, in the process. So kudos to you for like being able to do all that and like month by month, like taking on that challenge. Did your, um, did your friend like provide you like good feedback? Like, like, Oh, you should probably maybe expand that. Or I didn't quite understand this point. Um, so I, I reserved the, um, critiques for, um, other people, um, who mm. I would send, I would send them chunks of the book as I was going to get their kind of critiques and their feedback. Um, and for this particular friend who was reading month by month, I just needed him to tell me it was great. <laughs> and that was all I needed. Yes, yes. <laughs> you know, so, you just, sometimes yes. you just need a hype man. And so that's what, that's what this exactly. friend was. And um, I would send other people, you know, like chunks of the book at a time and be like, all right, tell me your thoughts. I need your feedback on this. I had one person um, who, um, um, uh, understands Greek and Hebrew um, and has done a lot of translations of uh, the text, the original text and things like that. Mm. And so, you know, I, I sent him the sections of my book where I deal with some of that. I'm like, okay, what's your feedback? Let's talk through this. Um, and, and that was really helpful. So I tried to send the book out to people who were um, knowledgeable in the areas that I was uh talking about to hear what they had to say. Well, like I said, it's brilliant. You've done a fantastic job. Um, so now I want to go like back in time a bit, like what's leading up to this book and wonder if you share a little bit about your story. Uh, I think it's so unique. And like I said, when I first started reading your story um, and reading about how you were raised in a reformed Baptist church, I think that, you can really speak to so many people who are listening in about just your love of theology, your love of scripture, and then the wrestling that you went through in your coming out process. Yeah. So I was uh, raised in a reformed Baptist church. I still uh, strongly lean reformed in my theology to this day. Um, and I, because I was raised in a reformed 
church. Um, you know, anybody who's familiar with uh, reform denominations knows that the emphasis is very heavy on doctrine and um, learning the ins and outs of proper hermeneutics and um, under understanding how to uh, differentiate between, you know, this perspective and that perspective. And um, so, you know, I, I was getting a very uh, heavy education in theology from like the time I was very little. And I was like, I was one of those kids who, um, who actually listened to everything that uh, was being talked about. <laughs> um, we had no like Sunday school for children. Like the children were expected to sit in the service with their parents, listen to the sermon. And so um, I would sit for all the stuff that the adults sat for, all the Sunday schools, things like that. And um, I, you know, just kind of really, I just vacuumed it all in. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it like, you know, um, I, I knew that my dad would ask me what the sermon was about, what the class was about, what this was about um, every time afterwards. And so I was like, I really have to like, wow. I really have to listen. Um, and so, you know, I'd come up with like mnemonics on my fingers to like, remember what was being said. And, uh, reformed pastors, they're really great. They have like 10 point sermons that go on and on and on. And like, <laughs> you're like 40, you're 45 minutes into it. And then he's like, okay, now for point number four. And you're like, oh my gosh, we have six <laughs> points left. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, uh, like, yeah, I, I'm still, I'm still very grateful for all of that upbringing because it really gave me a very, very strong foundation in scripture, in theology, understanding my faith, um, taking it very seriously. Um, And uh, for me, it provided me with um, a strong, a strong understanding, not just of um, what the gospel is, but also like how all of this makes sense given the like holistic breadth of scripture. Um, so yeah. Um, so saying all of that uh, and the, the strength of that for me in my life, um, uh, the teaching on LGBTQ issues was not well-developed at all. Um which, you know, when I think about it now, kind of more reflectively, um, it's really kind of amazing how churches that are so, um, such like, do critical thinking so well, um, uh, really want to parse things out so well, can often have such um, surface level understandings and explanations for LGBTQ issues um, that are just so simplistic uh, and just not satisfying in any way, shape, or form. Like, it, it, it amazes me how common that is. People who are very, very, very well thought out um, will say some of the most um, just 
I mean, the only real word that I can think of is ignorant. <laughs> um, things about uh, this topic that, you know, are just not born of any real knowledge, but just like what they've been told, what they've heard. Um, and that was definitely my experience with LGBTQ issues growing up. Um, it was uh, LGBTQ issues were never talked about explicitly. Um, but they would come up frequently enough as examples of various different things kind of referenced. Mm -hmm. And the general teaching was that um, God gave gay people their homosexual inclinations because they had chosen their sin um, and rebelled against God. And so as judgment upon them, God gave them homosexuality as judgment for their sin um, and condemned them to hell. And that uh, they were, um, and I talk about this in my book, that gay people are an example of the uh, vessels of wrath prepared by God for destruction. Uh, in, the, in the chapter where Paul talks about, you know, who are you, oh man, to question God, you know, so, you know, you know, what if he did create vessels of wrath for destruction, you know, who are you to question that? And, um, and, mm -hmm. you know, uh, but, and, and that, and that by itself is extremely traumatizing, like hearing that being preached from the pulpit alone, yeah. and then adding on top of it saying, oh, that references especially the LGBTQ community, mm -hmm. that's like double traumatizing, yep. especially if, you, if you're LGBTQ. Yeah, um, extremely so. And of course, at the time, I didn't know that I was gay um, because, and this was another aspect of what was taught, um, like if you were, you know, if you loved God, if you faithfully were pursuing him, then there is no way that you could be gay. Um, that just wasn't even a possibility um, because, you know, you just, it just wasn't, it just wasn't. Um, and so I never really even considered it. I didn't even completely know what like this homosexuality thing that was so bad even really completely was until I got, um, you know, older, um, you know, around like 16, 17, it was when I was like, oh, so they're like, not attracted to the opposite sex, they're attracted to the same sex. Oh, okay. It was like, ah, hmm. Um, but again, never thought that it could apply to me. And so um, it was really only in college that I started putting the pieces together um, and realizing that I was attracted to women, that the things that people felt for men, I felt for women instead, uh, which is a very common thing for a lot of gay people um, to just not to take a long time to realize because very few gay people ever grow up thinking that it's possible for them to be gay. Very few um you know, have this on their radar. Um, cause it's not really ever talked about as like a possibility. Uh, I think most people just assume that their children are going to grow up, get married to the opposite sex or, you know, and have kids, especially in the church. And so, um, 
it it definitely was a it it definitely was kind of a shock for me to figure this out <laughs> to figure out like oh shoot i am attracted to women um so yeah so it was quite quite a shock and um and then yeah. of course i have this uh teaching that I had internalized for a very long time about LGBTQ people, um, that this was a sign of sin, um, that God gave people these attractions, uh, as judgment against them. And that this, you know, was a sign of damnation and that they were condemned as vessels of wrath. And so all of those things just came like, flooding onto me all of a sudden you know this Mm. these ideas that I had never ever applied to myself had never even questioned had never thought twice about and now all of a sudden this is me and um it was extremely overwhelming um and I started like having panic attacks very very regularly Mm. Um, uh, and just very overwhelmed by just fear of what this yeah. meant for my life, what this meant for, um, like how so many different questions now that I needed to answer and figure out. And if I got the answer wrong, then my soul was potentially on the line. Um, and yeah, it was just an incredibly terrifying place to be. So this is all hitting you. And this is, I think, a period where a lot of people who maybe were raised in the church and realized that they're part of the LGBTQ community and all these sermons, all the side comments that they've heard throughout their life growing up that have maybe been hateful towards LGBTQ community. Those all come, like you're saying that it all comes flooding Mm -hmm. back. Like all those conversations, all those sermons, all those those texts start to hit you. Like, what does this mean to me? And I think it's like at that point where it would make sense for a lot of people uh, to leave the church mm-hmm. at that point. Like, well, that's obviously not a safe place for yeah. me. So can you talk about like as you were wrestling with these things, um, what was going through your mind? Uh, well, as I'm wrestling with these things, um the thought of leaving the church actually really never crossed my mind. Um, it was, because uh, my faith was so important to me. The idea of, you know, walking away from it just was unthinkable. Um, something that I just couldn't even fathom or consider. Um, and so that kind of, I think, put me in a, a situation where it was either I tried as hard as possible to not feel this way anymore, to not be gay anymore, um, and try as hard as possible to find a man that I like and can marry, Um <clears throat> and risk completely hating my life, but at least I'm 
on the, like, at least I'm on God's good side. Um, or just not be able to, to live with myself. Um, because I am living in a way that conflicts with my faith and um, I wouldn't be able to live that way, um, which, is a, which is a point that many um, gay Christians do reach where they feel like um, in order to um, please God, they have to live a life that is just unlivable for them um, or uh, live in a way that is livable, um, but anger God. Um, and that is a, that is a rock and a hard place that often pushes many gay Christians to a point of suicide because it feels as if there is no way to live. Um, it feels as if, um, if they are going to please God, <clears throat> they have to live a life where they are completely miserable. Um, and many do try to live that life and reach a point where um, they just can't do it anymore. Um, it just, it doesn't feel, doesn't feel possible anymore. Um, and that is the, when, when, when many gay Christians reach that point, um, many, many, so many that I've talked to tell me that it's at that point that they start considering suicide. Um, and many will attempt to go through with it. Um, and there are many who will die um, as a result of being driven to that place where they just feel like life is not worth going on anymore. Um, so uh, that was very much... Um, I guess the place that I was really struggling in. And uh, it's also um, the place where I started taking a step back and uh, falling back on a lot of the other teachings that I had been given. Um, and, mm. you know, because I, I mentioned how how strong my, like, foundation was in theology yeah. and in understanding the gospel. And um, so I started kind of examining a lot of these things that I had been told about gay people in light of other things that I knew were true. And I started realizing that this didn't add up. <laughs> This didn't actually make sense. Um, there's contradictions here all over the place. And uh, a lot of these teachings started to look like, uh, on, on gay people started to look like it was um, very, very simplistic and um, not actually rooted in um, scripture in any way. And I started to kind of peel back the layers on all of this and realize that, you know, maybe, um, what, uh, maybe what God thinks about people like me is not what I've been told for so long. Um, and so, you know, that was kind of, I guess, my own process, my own evolution. And, um, I stayed, uh, in the church that I was in for a very long time, I, um, you know, I 
still am very committed to my faith um, to this day. Um, but I will say that um, staying in uh, the church that I was attending at the time was extremely challenging um, because there was very, very little understanding of um, homosexuality. Um, and the pastor even admitted to me that I was the first um, gay person mm. that he had um, ever encountered as a pastor. <laughs> And so there was just very little understanding and a lot of assumptions. And um, I, uh, I kind of powered through staying with that church for a very long time, um, but found it getting harder and harder and harder um, because of a lot of the assumptions that were being made about me. Um, and reaching a point where like I would go to church on Sundays um, and I would cry on my way there mm. and I would cry on my way back <laughs> every single mm. Sunday. And so I reached a point where I was like, yeah, I'm supposed to be uh, committed to a local church for the long haul, but like, I can't keep doing this. Um, like this is not sustainable. And so yeah. I, I did eventually leave and, um, I do attend a church now that I, I attend a United Methodist church now, which is not in any way reformed in any way, shape or form. Um, but, um, I, I, have just found that the churches as you know, I'm more conservative theologically, um, and I, you know, hold to a lot of um, more traditional beliefs. But uh, unfortunately, I found that most of the churches that I would be more comfortable in theologically um, are just not places where someone like me is welcome. Um, and so I, I currently attend a United Methodist Church, which I absolutely love. Um, and it's I, I can say that it has been um, really nice to walk into a church every Sunday um, and know that, like, this one thing about me is not the front and center issue that defines my experience at this place. Um, that's really nice to be able to walk into a church and just be able to um, worship God and, um, seek him, um, in the context of a service. And so I, I could say that I hope maybe that I'll find a church where I'm more theologically at home, but for the time being, um, the church that I'm going to is really great. Um, and really, really very much what I need. That's fantastic. I'm really happy to hear if you found like a safe, inclusive church where you can go and, and, worship God and not be in any way separate or being pointed out as, oh, that's the person mm -hmm. who's gay in our congregation. I want to ask you about when you were at this, um, at this church, I mean, this is like when you're part of a reformed community, it's like your church family. Mm -hmm. And so when you were there and you're really, you know, you're really trying hard to like, I want to stay in this church. I, I love the, I love the teaching. I love the theology you have built relationships over time with the members there. You've seen the kids grow up. Um, 
And so to leave a church family is really, mm-hmm. really hard. And I can't even imagine like what that was like for you to like, to take that step. But as you were kind of trying to stick it through and uh, you're going to church and you're, you mentioned like crying on the way to church and, and then going to church and then crying on the way home, you're having conversations. What was the, how did you kind of navigate that process of who, like who needed to know, like who did you need to tell? Mm-hmm. Like, cause it's, it's, it's your personal life. Um, but at the same time, it's like, oh, this is my church family. I have an elder, I have a pastor. Like, who do I talk to? Do my parents say something? Like, how did you kind of navigate that that part while you were there? So this is the interesting part. I did not want to come out to anyone. Um, I had actually decided this is not something that I am ever going to tell anyone. I'm going to keep this to myself. Um, and uh, I will, um, go to my grave with this secret. (laughs) Um, and, um, but I guess, uh, people started, uh, getting the gay vibe from me some way, somehow. Mm. And I'm still not exactly completely sure how, uh, because, uh, I, for all intents and purposes, what, you know, was not like, it's not like I was, you know, walking in with uh, rainbow hair or anything. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm still not sure what it was that they were picking up on. Um, But uh, when uh, the pastor like called me in um, and just, you know, asked me point blank, um, like what's going on? Um, are you, are you gay? And have you ever like felt this way? And, you know, I was like, uh, Mm. and like, I of course denied it at the, at that point was like, no, I'm not gay. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, but, uh, that I guess was kind of like the, um, I don't know, the, beginning of the end, um, in terms of keeping this a secret and, um, the, uh, over time, I eventually started meeting with someone who I considered a friend. Um, and I mentioned to her, I did not say that I was gay. Instead, I said, um, if I were not a Christian, I would probably feel in a certain way that would make other people think that I was gay <laughs> if oh. I were not a Christian. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, and this really freaked her out. She went to the pastor and told him, Bridget mm. is gay. I don't know what to do. Um, and that... So now, you know, I can't deny it anymore. Like the cat is out of the bag. And um, yeah, my experience was that um, even though I was not like walking around telling people, I never had the kind of coming out moment that other people um, often think of. Um, When I like, I guess like, quote unquote, like I come out, quote unquote, 
um, every year on coming out day where I just kind of tell people that I'm gay. But the first time I did that, I had already been out for years (laughs) Uh, because Mm. like I never had an official like coming out where I told people it was more like people dragged this out of me. Um, And, Mm. you know, people... Uh, a lot of gossiping, a lot of talking behind my back, mm. a lot of going to the pastor. Did you see Bridget last Sunday? She was holding a girl's hand. Um, a lot of, uh, mm. have you noticed Bridget with this other woman, uh, you know, really seems like they're more than just friends, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and so uh, it, it was just yikes <laughs> yeah 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 oh my gosh like and, and there might be some listening in who don't understand like the kind of the small kind of reformed church family dynamic and how people are kind of like concerned for each other but then like gossip mm-hmm. happens and and obviously like you haven't said anything but all of a sudden like things are yeah. spreading mm-hmm. private conversations and it has to go to the elders it has to go to the pastor and then you get called in you're like what what, what did mm-hmm. i do <laughs> Because at this point, you haven't said mm-hmm. anything. You haven't done yeah. anything. But now it's like the church's responsibility to find yeah. out, like, what's really mm-hmm. going on. And it, it uh, reminds me of um, my my wife, when she was, um, uh, before we were married, she was visiting uh, an Orthodox Presbyterian church. Again, really small, like 30 mm-hmm. members kind of situation. And she was with her best friend. And they were holding hands as best friends. And again, first time visiting the church and before communion was served, the elders came up to my wife and said, are you, are you lesbian? Because oh we, we, we fenced the table here. Oh my. And my wife's like, and my, my wife was like, no, no, I'm not. Um, this is my best friend. We, we hold hands all the time, but they were like so yeah. concerned about them holding hands as best mm-hmm. friends. You know, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like you're not even a member of that church. Yeah. You're just like mm-hmm. visiting. Never went back. She obviously never yeah. went back. But I was, she told me, I was like, oh my gosh, does that really yeah. happen? Oh yeah, it happens all the time uh, for sometimes even less than that uh, for, you know, looking at someone too long um, and you didn't even realize that you did. Um, it's it's very startling. Mm. Um, y- you wouldn't think that these things happen until it starts happening to you and you're like shoot um and it's it's one of those things that it surprises me um how few people really know that this that this goes on um and that this is common and i have um in the past before writing my book and this is one of the things that um really motivated me to write this book um, was that I would try to talk to people about what it was like, um, experiences that I had, experiences that friends had who were also gay. And uh, people would say back to me that I was exaggerating, that these things don't really go on. Like, um, you know, did that really happen to this friend of yours? Are you sure? Like, it kind of sounds like they're maybe Mm -hmm. like embellishing this story a little bit. And, um, it was like extremely disturbing that like, I could not like pull back this curtain for people and be like, this is going on. This is happening. 
um, mm-hmm. because people were just so blind to it and just couldn't see. And even maybe had done some of these things themselves and could not even see that they themselves were participating in this because uh, there's just so much blindness to it. I want to ask about advice for the Christian community that when their friend, when their church member comes mm-hmm. out to them or they find out, what are some loving ways to handle those conversations? And what are some things that sometimes you've heard people say, like well-meant things, like they're trying they're trying to say something they think mm-hmm. is nice in a response, but it's actually very, very hurtful. Yeah. Um, I think probably the... The most helpful thing to do when you have a loved one come out to you is to tell them that you love them, that you um, feel honored that they would um, talk to you, um, and that this doesn't change anything for you um, about how you um, about your love for them, how you think about them, um, your respect for them. It doesn't change anything except make you love them more, make you like them more, um, because now you know them better. Um, I think that's just, that's the best way to respond every time, hands down, um, in my opinion. Um, I think a lot of times, um, instead, um, Responses are um, extremely un- extreme discomfort when a family member, or loved one, comes out um, because people don't know what to say <laughs> mm. and they don't know what to think about the fact that this person just came out to them, um, and so there's like extreme discomfort by this moment and. Um, I mean, the person who's coming out to you can tell that um, and can tell the like tension um, and the discomfort that you're experiencing. Um, And if that happens, that's not necessarily um, like the end of the world. Um, It would be nice if there wasn't that discomfort. But like, you know, for me as someone who's gay, I'm like, I'm willing to be like, you know, like I'm willing to extend a lot of grace for something like that because this is something that can like really take people off guard. Um, <clears throat> even though, you know, there shouldn't be discomfort there with something like this, the reality is there often is. Um, and so I'm willing to be like, all right, that's okay. But then a lot of times there will be follow up that is, you know, uh, something equivalent to, um, like, wow. Um, well, uh, I don't like agree with that, but I still love you. Um, or, uh, I want you to know that we, uh, can still be friends, but, uh, I, I don't think that I can support you in this. And those things are just 
they're like knives. They just like stick mm. in you. It's like it's like someone is just driving a knife into your soul um, when mm. people that you love say those things. Um, and the reason why it hurts so much is because when you share this very intimate, um, very personal, very emotional part of your life with someone else that you are close to, um, you're not sharing something for them to agree or disagree with. Um, you're not sharing something for them to have to decide if they support it or not. Um, you are trying to open up <laughs> and uh, let them know uh, an aspect of your existence um, that they haven't known before because you want to be fully known as a person and so you want them to know you. Um, and to have someone respond when uh, you've shared something so emotional um, have not actually stated anything <laughs> that needs to be agreed or disagreed with. Mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. for someone to respond with, I love you, but I disagree. Um, uh, we can still be friends, but I need you to know that um, I don't support you or some other version of this. It just, it, it's so, so debilitating. It hurts so much because even though this is not what is being stated, um, the implication is that they now see you as an issue to agree or disagree with um, because you just shared more of yourself with them than you have ever shared before. And now they, now they have shown you that they somehow, quote unquote, disagree. Um, and to... To the other person, they're thinking like, oh, I just disagree with like LGBTQ theology, whatever that is. But to the person that just came out, the like what you are saying is actually I disagree with you. I disagree with your existence. Um, and so it's, it's very hurtful, uh, which is why it's important when someone comes out to just tell them, I love you. Um, Thank you for sharing this part of your life with me. Um, this, this changes nothing except makes me love you more. Um, it makes me more grateful for having you in my life. Um, because this person has not given you something to agree or disagree with. This person has given you um, something of themselves. Um, and that is a gift to just be received <laughs> and be grateful mm. for receiving from this person. Um, and so, you know, in that moment, you might have theological discomforts, but in that moment, there is not theology being presented to you to wrestle with. In that moment, there is just a very vulnerable person who is sharing themselves with you um, and just needs to be loved as a human being. Amen. And um before we go, I mean, your book, Heavy Burdens, Seven Ways LGBTQ Christians Experience Harm in the Church, um, is such a great resource for Christians to understand all the various ways that Christians can do a better job 
of having these conversations and also ways to get better educated on the issues. And ultimately, at the end of the day, like how to better love our LGBTQ community. You've done a fantastic job with your book. I want to encourage everyone to get a copy of this book, read it. I read it once. I'm going to be reading it again. It is so rich, so theologically rich, so well thought out. Uh, Bridget, thank you so much for writing well, it. Thank you. And um, thank you for having me. I'm really glad that we got to talk. Thank you so much for listening to this conversation with Bridget Eileen Rivera about ways that we can better understand and love our LGBTQ Christian community. To learn more, please get a copy of Bridget's latest book entitled Heavy Burdens, Seven Ways LGBTQ Christians Experience Harm in the Church. If you'd like to share ways this conversation with Bridget Eileen Rivera has helped or inspired you, please let me know. You can find Delgado Podcast on Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. You can also find summaries of past episodes on my blog at mikedelgado.org. Thank you so much for listening. Take care, and we'll chat more next time.